The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm Kate Ebner, your host, and I'm talking today with Frank Ball and Mike McGinley of New Dominion Angels, an angel investment company focused on helping small startup companies with big ideas to accelerate their movement up the growth curve. And I really wanted to um, bring the perspectives and the knowledge and the wisdom of Mike and Frank to you all today because I know them through my work at Georgetown University where they also teach on the faculty of the Georgetown University Leadership Coaching Program. And I'm, I'm aware of this passion and the extraordinary and exciting direction that it's taken, all of what they've learned. And I think for those of you out there with a big idea, um, a good business idea, uh, a vision that you really want to turn into a reality, you might really benefit and I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing how angel investors think, what they do, and how this might perhaps be helpful to you in making your vision real. So thank you very much for joining me today, Frank and Mike. Happy to be here. Glad to be here. Good. Well, we're, we're going to, um, we're going to kind of jump right in. And, you know, I, I mentioned already that we know each other through our work as, um, coach educators at Georgetown. Um, I've been tracking this for a while now, ever since the two of you really got going with, um, with, with angel investing. And I've been able to see that it's really a passion and it's, it's taken off. Would you be willing, Frank, to just tell us a little bit about, how you got started with angel investing and what it is that really excites you about it. Uh, I had an experience a number of years ago where a colleague had a bright idea and um, started a business literally on a picnic table in his basement. And uh, I was able uh, partially as a friend and then subsequently as an investor and an employee actually of the company to participate in the growth. And what I experienced there firsthand was when uh, a source of money commonly called friends and family has been uh, completely exhausted. Where do you go for money in a startup if you're not really bankable uh, in a banking term? And in our case, in the case of that company, uh, angel investing uh, served as a bridge to help the company grow, as you mentioned, Kate, further up or more quickly up the growth curve, and the company subsequently raised significantly more money, what I would call professional money, and we can talk later about what that is as contrast to angel money. So I've kind of lived the experience. I, I believe in uh, the difference and the huge impact that angel investing can make. 
Thank you. And Mike, I would love to hear the same from you as well as if you could even start by telling us what is angel investing? Well, yeah, I'll take it where Frank left off. Angel investing is kind of the next level of investing of of financing after the first couple of rounds of possible financial support have been exhausted. So Frank mentioned friends and family. That's typically what entrepreneurs would do is is finance things themselves um, is to the extent that they can, and then go to their friends and family and say, hey, I'm really excited about this venture, and I'm going to need a little bit more money. Do you guys believe in me? Um, come on, put your money where your mouth is. Uh, and after that point, when the company has gotten to a, you know, they've, they've gotten some kind of traction and some kind of maybe a prototype or something, and they want, they're ready to go to market but need more serious money, then angels can come in and kind of help that, as you said, Kate, at the start, kind of help that acceleration up the growth curve. So think of it as um, an accelerant. I think that's a great word for it. Um, and and as Frank alluded to, there's lots of stages of capital after angel investing, and maybe we'll get to those, but I think that's a fair description for now. Great. And tell us how you got involved with it, Mike. Yeah, for me, it was kind of a slow burn, uh, kind of a 25-year slow burn. Um, so I went to college out in Los Angeles, um, and and my my parents also lived in L.A., and my dad had the wisdom to drag me to these um, these events called the Caltech MIT Enterprise Forum. And uh, in the enterprise forum, companies would come and pitch to a panel of venture capitalists. Uh, and, the, and the venture capitalists would, you know, after the presentation, kind of give their thoughts. They would ask questions and give their thoughts. And it was open to the public. And so my dad and I would sit, sit in the audience and I would take this in. Uh, and for me, it was incredibly exciting just to be around the energy of startup and kind of that, that special energy that entrepreneurs have. And I had no idea what I wanted to do with it at the time, but I knew I wanted to be involved in that space. So kind of fast forward 25 years after a, after a corporate career, and I found myself in a slightly different station in life. Um, I started kicking the tires to see how I could get involved in that kind of space. And um, I'm sure we'll tell more of that story as we go. Great. I think I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm really struck by, um, how you each came to it. Frank through the picnic table in the basement project that needed funding and that firsthand experience. And you, Mike, from really from being, from childhood, seeing something exciting and having that stay with you, um, throughout the course of, of your, your various careers. <laughs> um, I'd love to actually start by, uh, asking you to, um, tell us, you know, I, I, I often have thought as I've listened to the two of you talk about what you do that, um, you know, people don't necessarily know how angel investors think, you know, like what is an angel investor really looking for when they consider a proposal that's in front of them? Um, Frank, do you want to start us off with that? Yes, I, I would. Um, I think the first thing we look for is what is a problem being solved? Uh, people create businesses to provide goods and services that meet some sort of need. So among the things we're curious about that, if you will, the demand side, potentially the market side, is how um, hungry is the market for this, whatever this good or service is, how big is the market, uh, because that suggests uh, the possibility, you know, how big could this potentially grow, uh, what is this going to this good or service going to replace, and what are other reasonable substitutes? Uh, so, we, this isn't a pleasant term, but the expression "pain in the market." What is it? How 
how acutely felt is the need in the marketplace will give us some confidence about, you know, this is a surefire thing rather than merely optional, if you will, for people to purchase or to engage in. Thank you. And, um, Mike, what's, what, when people, uh, prepare to really present to angel investors, do they know these things that Frank has just described? Do you find people understand, uh, what they need to, to do to get ready to really have that conversation? Yeah, it's a mixed bag, Kate. I, I, th- I think I think savvy entrepreneurs do know. I think I think just as Frank said, the the best entrepreneurs are thinking, where is their pain in the marketplace, and what's my opportunity? Like, what what are the things I can do through a product or service to alleviate that alleviate that pain? Um, and the next step of it that we're going to look for as angel investors is what's the elegance of their solution, right? What is what's better, stronger, faster, smarter, or whatever about what they're thinking that that doesn't exist out there in the world? Or to what extent can they bring it to buyers in a in a easier, unique way that hasn't been done before? Uh, so we're looking for something simple and elegant about their approach. Um, and, and if they've got those two things, there's this acute pain in the market and we've got this elegant approach to how we're going to solve it, they're off and running uh, with a good head start at that point. What's a typical level of funding? You know, I'm going to ask you in a little while to tell us some stories about proposals that you funded or things you haven't funded even and sort of lessons learned. But, but I'm curious, you know, what, when, when someone um, decides that, okay, I need to seek funding from an angel investor, is it understood that there's sort of a, a, a typical sum that you'd go for? And I guess I'll ask that to you, Frank. Uh, generally, on the angel side, this is the, and again, I'll draw a distinction. Unlike friends and family, angels are strangers. So they're going to be a little bit more objective in their uh, decision-making around whether to invest or not. And generally, by the time you get to an angel, you're probably looking for six figures, from the 100s, 200s, 300,000 range, for example. Uh, and again, it's hard to generalize. There are individual angels and people who invest on their own who might do 25 or 50,000 or, or actually depending on their their confidence in the opportunity and the wherewithal they have, they could put in quite a bit of money. But generally a group of angels, and we may later talk about how an angel group operates, you're generally talking in the, in the low six figures, call it, Hundred and fifty, two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollar range. And and why why go the angel investor route versus uh, the bank? Generally, the early stage companies uh, have very little revenue or no revenue, and what they might uh, consider assets may be concepts, ideas, maybe a prototype, maybe some beta testing results. And banks these days, especially given the current conservatism in the financial regulation arena are not particularly inclined to loan money uh, absent uh, collateral or some uh, property that can be pledged or the demonstration of a stream of income for usually quite a long period of time. So I mentioned earlier the term, they're not really, not yet bankable, and it's not really a precise term, but oftentimes, unless they're real estate assets or other plant and equipment, uh, there isn't much basis for a bank these days to loan money. You know, thank you. Um, as you're explaining that, I'm struck by how 
how well you both are giving us some clear definitions, which for those out there listening who are new to this terminology is going to be incredibly helpful. Um, I think we're going to take a break right now. And when we come back from the break, I'd love to actually go where you were just describing, Frank, and have you describe, tell us more about how an angel investment company operates. Um, this is Kate Ebner. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. My guests are Frank Ball and Mike McGinley, and we'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. We've been talking about angel investing today. My guests are Frank Ball and Mike McGinley of New Dominion Angels, and they're educating us about how this whole thing called angel investing really works, and we've gotten some good definitions from you both. Um, Mike, I wonder if you could describe for us um, what what Frank was talking about before the break, sort of, how, let's use New Dominion Angels. What? How does the whole thing operate? Yeah, well, from for starters, we're... We, we borrowed a model that was out there and pretty effective, um, which is called kind of the dinner social club model, if you will. And what that means is it's, it's kind of a monthly construct where uh, members of the group come together and great entrepreneurs come together and, and there's a dinner meeting. And so the entrepreneurs pitch, they, they kind of do their presentation, and the investors or angels are in the audience listening. And um, where there's a lot of excitement and passion, then the investors can move forward um, with investing in the company. That's kind of the simple idea. So we borrowed an idea that was out there. Um, the genesis of our group was Frank and I really were sniffing around to become members of an angel group um, in the area. And, and with each one that we vetted, there was always one element of it that we didn't particularly care for. And so we kept moving on and shopping and, and seeing what we could learn. And we got to the point where we said, you know what, 
there, it, there doesn't seem to be the perfect model out there, at least for what we're looking for. Let's go ahead and create the group that we most want to belong to and make have it have it share all of the elements that we can possibly dream of that would be attractive to us and we think attractive to our friends and colleagues, and we're going to structure it that way. Can you give us an example, Mike, of the kinds of things that you wanted to make sure were part of your particular angel investing company? Yeah, I think one of the design principles was ultimate flexibility. So um, the way that manifests is that we don't ever have a requirement for our, our investors to invest. Right? So that means they can invest when they're so moved by uh, a project or an opportunity that they want to put their money behind it, but there's no quota. quota. There's no minimum where they've got a there, – there's – there's no um, kind of retained capital that um, we're going to make sure gets invested. They get to invest when they want to invest, and that's I think that's a key differentiator from most groups. Another one is that um, some angel groups actually take take a share of the profits off the top before they redistribute them to their members, and that didn't sit well very well with us as we were shopping around um, to join groups. And so again, that's another design principle where we said, you know what. This isn't what we do for a living, and we want this to be have the maximum utility for our members. So we're not going to do that. Thank you. I think that's, that's really helpful to actually hear you hear you talk about some of those differences, um, and and it's kind of. Um I don't know, appealing in a way to, to also hear that story about you, sh- you know, sort of trying different things and then deciding to sort of start up your own angel investing company. I, I sometimes have had friends and colleagues who've wanted to do that and you're the ones who actually have. Um, so Frank, as, um, as the angel, when you have a meeting of the angel investors, what actually happens at that meeting? What's that like? Uh, we have a what you might call a social hour, generally a buffet and beverages, to allow members and guests and what we call friends of New Dominion Angels, as well as the presenting uh, companies, to mingle a bit and get acquainted on a social basis. And then uh, we generally have two companies present each of our monthly meetings, and a company will present usually with PowerPoint, maybe some handouts, sometimes a demonstration. They'll present for about 15 minutes, followed by 10 minutes or so of Q, uh, question and answer. And then we take a break and have a second company present. And so they have an opportunity to catch our imagination, to answer our questions, which are in the, in the biggest realm. Is this a good business? Uh, some of the things we talked about, the market, the size of the market. Further, is this the team that can do it? You know, it's kind of a gut check on our part. And after they leave, we talk about them. And again, our members get to to express what degree of interest or disinterest they have. And then if there is sufficient interest and we have volunteers, uh, we move to the next stage, which is called due diligence. And we've set up a volunteer process among our members who say, you know, I've got some time. I'd like to be on the due diligence team that, in a sense, will lift the hood a little bit and kick the tires of the company between meetings perhaps visit them on site, uh, get customer testimonials, bank references, all that sort of thing, essentially uh, run them through an MRI machine so that if that group of our members who volunteer will come back in a month or so and say, we've looked at this and we recommend no, that we don't invest. Or they may say, yes, we recommend investing. And in fact, the four or five of us are personally committed in with this much money. And what we do to build on Mike's idea of an opt-in model, we will float a written report and recommendation from our member uh, team 
uh, to the membership and generally accompany that with a with a briefing or an update at the next meeting physically delivered by our members. And we say, you know, by the end of the week, let us know if you're in, interested in investing, yes or no, and if yes, how much. And again, to Mike's design principle for our group, we've got a very low minimum so that people um, uh, don't have to change their lifestyle to invest in a company they believe in. And so why don't I pause at that point? So essentially it's a successive refinement and then a recommendation back to the group where we can opt in or not, and then we make the investment. Um, how do people hear about you, Mike? Like how, how would somebody know to go to New Dominion? Well, I guess there, there's two threads to this. There's how do, how do entrepreneurs hear about us, and then how do prospective members? Are you asking more about entrepreneurs, Kate? I guess I was I was kind of in my mind going through the process Frank just described, and I was thinking, okay, you know, if I were an entrepreneur and I then understood how this process works, how would I even come to your attention? So really, I guess I was thinking of the entrepreneur's perspective. Yeah, um, it's a funny thing happened uh, on the way to creating the group. So, you know, four and a half years ago when we were just getting off the ground, we had to beat the bushes pretty hard to find the great deals out there and then introduce ourselves and say, hey, we're New Dominion Angels. And we're going to do great things, and we're pretty new. And um, if we could, if we could interest you, would you come and would be interested in coming and to pitch to our our dinner meetings uh, and talk to our members? And so it was very much a we trying to establish ourselves in the marketplace and attract you know good quality deals to our dinner meetings. Um, Fast forward a couple of years, we've been pretty active, and we've, we've been active in a market that hasn't seen a lot, a lot of activity because of the general state of the financial markets in the last few years. So in some regards, we've kind of been the only game in town in the, in the kind of Washington, mid-Atlantic uh, region because since we're a new group, we didn't have any old, old portfolio investments to prop up and, and make sure they lived. So we were out there investing in new things, and that wasn't the case for most angel groups. So we've been pretty active, and word gets out really quickly that there's this group that's active, and they're investing in companies, and uh, hopefully part of the part of the buzz is that they're great guys to work with too. Um, and so they find us, and and there's there's a pretty good ecosystem out there. Um, there there are some on-site uh, online portals that most entrepreneurs know about, and um, angels and investors are all tapped into those same portals. So they're pretty efficient around bringing together buyers and sellers. And so we see a lot of deal flow um, at the top of the funnel, and then we've got a very nicely refined process to kind of get through that deal flow and decide who we're going to bring, who are the two companies out of the entire universe that we're going to bring to our monthly dinner meetings. So when you say you have a good process, you mean that you have like a, some criteria that you're really applying to those possible uh, deals that you that helps you really refine it to just a few? Is that right? That's right. Yeah, and in an, in an average month, we probably see 25 to 30 new companies at the, at the top of the funnel, and so I, 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 I'll I'll spare you the details now. But we go through. We do have a list of criteria that we look at. Um, and, and I'll start with what Frank said earlier. It's, it's the pain in the market. So to what extent has the entrepreneur captured what they think the pain is and articulated it in a way that we can understand and get our hands around? That's pretty important. Um, and, and to what extent is it in a space that, that, that is attractive to us? Um, you know, we, we're not technically um, social investors or social angels, but we do have a social bent. So things that are going to make the world a better place to live in um, have a special place in our group, and so we, we tend to have a soft spot for that. Um, and then we dig into the numbers a little bit and, and try to try to imagine, is this the type of thing that could be uh, 
you know, an appropriate angel investment. Um, and then it then it's getting into the team. Are these the type of people who we'd want to partner with, um, and so on? So yeah, it's 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 quite a process, and we've gotten pretty good at it. And um, I'll I'll stop there for now. And Kate, let me jump in. Uh, going back to the how do people find people like us? In addition to what Mike said, uh, there's a trade group called the Angel Capital Association, and they have a website, and there are hundreds of member. Uh, Groups such as ours sorted geographically, so you can go. The, I don't have the website uh, on the top of my uh, head right now, but you could just search Angel Capital Association, click on there, find a group, Mid Atlantic in our case, and it has links to the websites of all the groups. You can get a sense of the portfolio companies have already invested in to see if they're biotech favored or IT favored or like us kind of generalist. Um, and that's another way uh, someone who is interested in knowing potential sources of funds for angel investing can find uh, other like groups. Thank you for that. I, I really appreciate this kind of information. I, I think it's very helpful to people. I think when you're in the know sometimes about something, it all seems so transparent and easily accessible. But I think if you're just starting out and don't know too much, this is the kind of information that we need. Um, I would love to hear a story about an investment that you've made and maybe how that's gone. Frank, you want to take us there? We have just a minute, so maybe you want to frame it, and we'll come back after the break um, and hear the full story. Uh, let me uh, just briefly introduce a company that uh, we've gone the distance with. So we invest in a company called SeniorLiving.net, which helps families find uh, the appropriate um, uh, support to place a family member in assisted living or nursing home or Alzheimer's or hospice, the, kind of the whole range. And we saw a tremendous demographic opportunity there because of the aging of the boomers and the greater longevity. We saw in the management team a great deal of experience with online marketing in this particular uh, business. It's partially a hugely wonderful website with tremendous resources where people can um, pull down information themselves for their decision-making as well as care advisors who can do a little bit more personal placement. And another larger company saw that opportunity after we invested and have has bought that company. So we've we've invested. We rode the rocket a while. We helped them accelerate up, and then when they were bought, we we got off the elevator and we're recycling our money again in another company. So I'm conscious it's close to break time, so I'll, I'll be quiet now. Thank you for that. Um, that's a that's an excellent you know sort of um, start to finish quick story. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. This is Kate Ebner, and we'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? 
The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. We are talking today with angel investors Mike McGinley and Frank Ball of New Dominion Angels. And they are really giving us, I think, a tutorial on angel investing. And uh, right before the break, Frank was telling us about an investment that they've made and that they've really seen come to uh, the promise that they saw in it when they decided to make the investment. Um, Frank, is there anything else you want to say about that story? Uh, I would say about that story, it's... it's um a pretty good example of another thing that distinguishes angel investing. In the in the world of angel investing, there's a distinction between what we would call a lifestyle business and then one that's more suitable for angel investing. The distinction is um, if you're starting a business and you plan to run it your whole lifetime and pass it on to your children, uh, that's generally, and I just say generally, not of interest to angel groups. Uh, angel groups are more interested in a plausible point at which they can, the term we use is exit, whether the company is bought or it's uh, merged with another company or there's there's an opportunity for us, in a sense, to recycle our, our money. Our sweet spot is a certain segment of that growth curve, and the thing that really floats our boat is growing young companies. We're not in it for a 30-year run in a mature enterprise and growing a, a more stable uh, company. That's There are people who do that, but they're generally not uh, associated with the term angel investing. Great. Thank you for that clarification. Um, and um, I'm not sure which one of you is the best to answer this, but maybe, Michael, I'll go to you. Is, is um, Tell us how the money part works. So they, a company comes, makes the pitch that they would like $150,000 for good reasons, and you determine that they're a great investment and you want to go ahead. What happens next? Well, as, as we alluded to earlier, we're, we're what's known as a pledge fund, and that's the notion that our members get to pledge when they're um, comfortable doing that rather than um, committing funds. And so we're not spending other people's money. We're literally passing the hat around um, to our members and saying, hey, who's got interest in this, and, and let's aggregate all those investments, and we'll see how much money we come up with. So, so the way that works is, yeah, the, the entrepreneur generally has a sense of, I want to raise this much money, and that number can be, you know, what Frank talked about, usually in the six figures. And they've usually got a pretty well-vetted sense for what they're going to use that money on. Now, there's there's not a science to that, right? So if they come and say, look, I need $250,000, and that's to hire a couple of programmers and a couple of salespeople so I can get distribution on the West Coast, for example, 
um, sometimes that story makes sense to us, and sometimes that story doesn't make so much sense. So we're gonna we're gonna poke the bear a little bit and ask questions like, what makes two hundred and fifty thousand dollars the right amount of money? All right, what would you do if you had only a hundred thousand dollars? Like, how would that change your market opportunity, or how would that change the scope of things? And conversely, what would you do with two million dollars? What you know, how how much of the market could you take? How quickly, and how would you allocate that kind of capital? And so the best entrepreneurs are going to have good answers to both sides of that equation. They're going to understand what they could do in a world of constrained resources. Yes, they only got a hundred thousand, and they're going to understand what they could do with um, with growing resources. Um, that, that's that's a really important point. This this notion of use of funds. How are they going to use the funds, and what's the highest and best use? So we have a lot of interest in that. Um, does the money come to, once? Let's say you pass the hat, so to speak, and. Uh, the money's approved, and now is a check written from New Dominion, or ha- what happens next? Yeah, what happens is we create uh, uh, what's called a special purpose LLC. So we actually create uh, a legal and a legal entity that's going to house that investment. So instead of say you know, thirty-five of our individual members being investors in this company. It's going to be this LLC, which is going to be called something like New Dominion Angels Fund 8 or New Dominion Angels Fund 12, uh, innovatively named. Um, and so that's, that's a big help to the entrepreneur. So they have one entity that's investing in them. Let's say it's the $300,000 that they got. Instead of having 35, you know, $9,000 investors biting at their ankles, they've got one entity, which is this special purpose LLC investing $300,000. Does that make sense? That does. That's great. And can I build on that a bit, Kate? Yeah, so please, yeah. the other part of the equation is one is how much are we putting in, and the other is how much is a company worth? In other words, what does $200,000 buy you? If it's a $500,000 valuation of the company before we invest, what we call pre money, we're going to get a much bigger piece of the company, if you will, than if it's a million and a half dollars pre money and we put in the same amount. So part of the thing that we're curious about is how do you value the company that you're buying into? So in a sense, we're this is really interesting about Angels. Mike has been clear that we write a check out of our own checking account. This isn't somebody else's money. And we're strangers. We don't know you, except that in this business way. And we're going to buy a minority interest in your company, which means that you really still have the say. We might get a board seat on your board of directors, but... We're think about it. We're the. I think the the the, the magic of angel investing is there. Here are strangers writing from their own personal checkbook to take a minority interest in a company that's illiquid. In other words, I can't I can't go to my broker and sell shares tomorrow. We're in it for five or more years, and it's it's a it's a pretty special relationship. And I think part of um, the decision making includes a component about mutual assessment. Are these people I want to be in business with? I think the entrepreneurs got to ask that of the angels they're in conversation with, and certainly the angels are asking the same question about um, the relationship before you write the check. And if I can add something here, Kate, I think I think there's something very distinctive about angels, or an important distinction to add here is that. We want to help in non-financial ways as well, right? So our contribution doesn't stop just when we write the check. And, and I think to contrast that, um, if we wanted to be passive investors, we'd put our money in a mutual fund and hope for the best, right? 
but we're angel investors and our members are angel investors because they really care about helping entrepreneurs. And there's ways that we can help that we could never imagine at the start of the engagement or the start of the relationship with the entrepreneurs. And so in some cases, we're helping with strategy development. And in some cases, we're helping open doors through connections that we've got. In some cases, we're just helping them rethink things or, or to find key employees. Any possible way that they can use us, we try to position ourselves um, uh, to, ma- to make that accessible to them. Does it ever go wrong? Have you ever made a bet that didn't work out either because it wasn't a good business deal, a good business opportunity, or maybe the company wasn't heading in the right direction or didn't, didn't have uh, all of what it appeared to have initially? Well, categorically, for sure, it goes wrong. Um, in, in this space, this is a very risky space, as Frank alluded to earlier, because these are, look, these are, these are startup companies, and there's not a lot of traction. In some cases, there's no revenue yet, and there, there might not even be a final product uh, that consumers can get their hands on. So it's, it's the riskiest of risky uh, in these things. And so by definition, um, most of these things are going to fail. And, and, yeah, anybody can look up the, the failure statistics on startups across the country, and that's what we can all expect as angel investors. So what we're trying to do is separate the best ones from the rest of them and, and give everything our best due diligence and give everything our best help, the way I just described, and still after that knowing the majority of these are probably not going to pay off. And so it, it gets to the equation that we're looking at as angel investors, and, and for Frank and me as the head of an angel group, um, do we have enough of these that are going to pay, pay off in a big enough way to make, make an entire portfolio um, worth doing? And so, so far, so good for us. We've made 11 investments, and none of them have gone south so far, knock on wood. Um, that's that noise you hear now, I'm knocking on wood. Um, we've had two successful exits, and again, as Frank defined that, that means... Um, the companies have been acquired by other companies, and so we've had a liquidity event where we get our money back and more, and that's kind of the name of the game. That's what we're in this for. And the other nine that we've got are still alive and well and kicking and doing great things and, and knocking on our door to see, you know, to, to solicit our help. And so it's been a really great run for us. But what I would, I would just want to reinforce here that our experience, you know, out of 11, two have had positive exits and, and nothing has gone south yet. That's not representative of this space, and we will for sure have a couple of these 11 go belly up at some point, uh, but we're, we're really, really optimistic that the quality of companies that we've picked um, has been excellent and that we're going to continue to see great things. And I, let me add another term, uh, perhaps overused these days in the startup arena, but I'll throw it out anyway. It's called pivoting. Uh, and it's very often the case that the company we invest in and the product idea or the service idea um, gets modified by the market. You know, if, if our founding team is really paying attention to the marketplace, they will notice when what they're bringing to market is really not what's wanted. And part of the art form in this startup world is to, to be so in tune to the marketplace and the opportunity as well as the technology that you can pivot to a different way of going to market. So, for example, we have some high-tech companies that have been growing for the last three or four or five years, and when they started, there was no such thing as a cloud, and mobile was a gleam in the eye. So the question for them is, to what extent do they need to modify their whole approach to accommodate the cloud, because increasingly the world's going that way, or mobile, or gaming, 
or social. So uh, it's all, and I'm overstating this a bit, but it often ends up the company we end up with is not the one we invested in. Uh, if they are um, paying attention to what's going on in the world, and that's part of the excitement of it. It sounds like an incredible learning experience. And as I'm listening to the two of you, I can't help but think that we could be having just as deep a conversation about coaching or leadership as we are about <laughs> angel investing. So this is a whole body of expertise and knowledge that you have that clearly you're passionate about. And it's a lot of fun and very informative to hear you talk about it. We're going to take a break right now. Um, when we come back, I'd love to um, really, really just hear another great story and then any advice you have for people who are listening. This is Kate Ebner. We'll be right back. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. We're hearing more and more about the cloud and how we're using the cloud in our daily lives, whether we're aware of it or not. How can the cloud help your business? Join Bonnie D. Graham every Thursday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time for In the Cloud with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel, and learn how to make your business soar to new heights. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, we're having a very informative conversation about angel investing, and I'm talking with my friends and colleagues, Frank Ball, Mike McGinley, who are not only angel investors who've co-founded the New Divinion Angel Investing Company, but they've also um, been longtime faculty members and leadership coaches at Georgetown University's leadership coaching program. Um, Mike is actually teaching an entrepreneurship class for coaches uh, at the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown, and Frank is putting together an advisory council of um, leaders across industry to really help that new institute get started. So they're playing all kinds of creative roles, but today we're talking about investing, and we've really been learning a lot from them. In the time we have left, I'd love to hear... Um, a couple of success stories and, and give us some detail and especially this interesting idea of pivoting. Um, why don't you start us off, Mike? 
Yeah, this, this is a really important notion that, that Frank tees up of the pivot because the, the idea here is that you can't, you can't tell from your starting place exactly how the world is going to react. And so one of the lessons that we've learned from great entrepreneurs is, is this ability to pivot, as Frank described it. And one of my favorite examples of that was actually the very first company that we invested in, and they were known as MySBX, which was kind of a short, cool shorthand for My Small Business Exchange. And the idea um, appropriately came from the entrepreneur's personal pain. So he had, he had run a small consultancy, and one of the classic problems that, that's afflicted consultancies since the dawn of time is the matching of supply and demand. So if you've got, say, 20 consultants on your staff, but you've only got the work to justify 10 of them being out at client sites, that's a big problem because you're paying the other 10. And so he actually created MySBX my as a way of solving that and, and doing some resource sharing. So the idea was... There could be some consultancies who are oversubscribed, right? They've got more business than they've got people, and there are others who are always undersubscribed. They've got more people than business. And, hey, why don't we come come together in this portal and let buyers and sellers come together and trade horses and, and, and level load? So it was a great idea, and we, we loved it uh, from the get-go. And, again, we especially loved that this entrepreneur had experienced it firsthand. So when we talk about pain in the marketplace, like he got the pain in the in the most real of possible ways because he had lived it as a business owner. So he created the, the structure to do this portal and bring the buyers and sellers together for the resource sharing. And what he, what he quickly found out was that the big government contractors saw this as an opportunity to meet their small business requirements. So the big, the big contractors who are doing work with the federal government, they've got a pretty significant set aside for, for part of their contract to be provided or subcontracted subcontracted out to small business providers. And almost none of the big um, government aggregators are, are meeting their small business requirements. So this is this additional pain that's out there in the market. And these guys saw small, my SBX as a way to, to scratch that itch and solve that problem. So they started signing up as anchor tenants of my SBX. And once once the Lockheeds and Martin Mariettas and Deltex of the world were signed on as clients, Every small-time um, subcontractor wanted to be involved because this was a way for them to get in on some big, juicy government contracts in ways that they could never do on their own because they're just too small and under the radar. So this became a boom. Um, and again, what, what was meant to be kind of small-time resource sharing became a totally different game. And the company capitalized on it, and the, it, it was actually sold out to a public company four months after we invested in it. And so the value was obvious, and um, it's, it, it's a great story all the way around from our perspective. Thank you for sharing that. That does exactly, that really shows us what you're talking about. Frank, do you have another one? Yeah, we invested in a company called Zagster, which is about bicycles and bicycle sharing. And the way the, uh, the company we invested in when we invested was around carbon credits. They had figured out a methodology uh, by which you could determine the amount of carbon emissions uh, that would happen in an automobile ride that would not happen if a bike ride was substituted for it. And this uh, uh, team had gone to the appropriate accrediting bodies to get their methodology approved. And there's actually a, th- a third-party market out there where carbon credits can be bought and sold. And... Um, so it was just a really great way because so many of your municipal bike sharing uh, systems have to need an operating subsidy. They don't make enough money. So this was a, a great social example of uh, allowing a for-profit 
capability to subsidize uh, by the bike operations themselves rather than either taxpayers or donations. But what happened on the way to success was the the carbon market cratered. You may recall some cap-and-trade legislation that went nowhere. And so these guys pivoted, and they decided that, well, we know a lot about bike sharing, so why don't we do a thing called uh, bike fleet in a box? And this is where the pivot really came in. Not only were they uh, moving away from a focus on carbon credits to bike sharing, but they said, let's don't compete with the, the D.C. bike share and these big fleets with 12,000 bikes that municipalities and other big players have. Let's go after resorts. Let's go after corporate campuses. Let's go after destinations. Let's go after uh, multifamily uh, housing, you know, apartments, condominiums, where they might want a 12 uh, a set of 12 bikes, not 1,200 or 12,000 bikes. They don't have the overhead to run a bike fleet, and we can just be turnkey bike fleet in a box. And that's what they're doing now. Great. These are interesting and diverse opportunities that you are working with. It just sounds like fun. sounds like you must be having fun with this. Lots of now, fun. It's a lot of fun. And, Mike, I still have that picture in my mind of you sitting as a kid with your dad in the auditorium listening <laughs> to these, you know, all, all that can be learned um, by reviewing these proposals. What a lesson. Um, you know, we have about three minutes left, and... Um, I, I think we have to make a choice between one more story and giving some advice. Um, any preference? I want to do advice. Okay. So for our listeners who are taking this all in and maybe sort of beginning to really understand what they need to do to be a candidate, um, what advice do you have for them, you know, sort of from the stepping back a bit from doing it and thinking about how you how you'd, how you'd guide people? Do you want me to go? Or you want to take a shot? Well, let me let me jump in. I would say this: uh, when we start businesses, our friends and family love us, and they try to be supportive. And the advice I have is: before you go talking to others, such as angel groups and others, with the idea of raising money, you really need to to fire test your idea. And I would get the most skeptical people I could find, rather than my friends and family. Uh, I would get people uh, and ask them to be skeptical, and I would pitch my idea to them over and over and let them find as many holes in your thinking as they can before you um, get in the room with somebody to talk about uh, their investing money in your group. Uh, That will help uh, everyone in the long run if you can kind of uh, fireproof it before you go in with uh, with the angel or angel groups. Yeah, Thank I think you. that's great, great counsel. And um, what I would add to that is what I'll call the beginner's mindset. And regardless of how smart you are, how much ex- experience you've had uh, in corporate or in doing other startups, I think having a beginner's mindset is really valuable because it, it puts you in the place of taking advantage of the pivot, as we talked about. Right? If you think you've got it figured out from the start, you're not going to be well positioned to pivot and listen to the marketplace and listen to the advisors you know, who are, who are trying to give you their, their, their advice in their best interest. Um, so that's really important to think, like, you know, we can't know everything from here, regardless of, again, regardless of how smart we are, how, how much we think we've cracked the code here, we can't know everything from here. And it's going to be like a river unfolding. And so let's just be ready to take advantage of the cues that we see as we're paying attention to the world and to the marketplace. I think that's a really big one. 
You know, I think it is too, especially because I see that so often people are sort of in love with their idea. And, you know, this idea of letting it be a flow of learning and adaptiveness is, is really a helpful mindset for people to bring into their, their ventures, into their dreams. Um, well, we have one minute left, and I really want to thank you both for being here today and for the perspective you've brought. And Frank, I'm just dying to hear you tell this baby food company story. We have 30 seconds. Can you do it? Okay, my made foods, Heather Stauffer, uh, one of uh, an investment we've felt uh, a great deal of affection uh, toward. The idea is healthy food for kids. Uh, the story, talk about your own experience. Uh, she had a child. She wasn't pleased with the alternatives available to feed her child. She did something about it. She discovered all sorts of things. Uh, food that claims to be organic can also have too much salt and too much sugar, too much fat. So she is kind of beyond organic. She uses organic ingredients, but she's claims to be and is healthier than that. Um, she had a baby food line to begin with, and it turned out Marketplace said, you know, people aren't uh, ready for that. Uh, that area is covered. Uh, the, the food more for toddlers. She has what she calls munchies or handheld. Just imagine um, uh, those pocket sandwich kinds of things as well as uh, a variety of turkey meatballs and that sort of thing. Her... her um, the mac and cheese look alike. She calls cheesy mac. It doesn't have cheese. It has butternut squash. I could go on forever about Heather and Mom made, but I won't. Well, that's a great story. And in fact, maybe this week in our newsletter, we'll actually feature um, feature that story along with our article about this show. And if, for those of you listening, if you'd like to um, stay tuned and, and get some sort of follow-up perspective, do go to Nebo Company and sign up on our website for the Visionary Leader Newsletter, and you'll be able to continue to think with us about these conversations we're having. Thank you very much for joining me today, Frank and Mike. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 